Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 through 45, with Pastor John King. Well, thank you everybody for coming out to service this morning. It's good to see you all once again. Uh, I'll just put another plug in for Potato Festival. If you happen to be out there today, please stop by our booth. Encourage those that are uh, giving out the Bible tracts and you know, it's a great opportunity for us to get outside of our building and into our community. And so there's a lot of encouragement out there, a lot of spiritual warfare too, but there's a lot of encouragement to be had. So uh, go out and get some. It's a lot cooler today, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, it was hot yesterday. But anyway, uh, enough of that. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 11. We're going to finish chapter 11, uh, and then next week we're going to finish the book of Daniel. Uh, remember uh, chapters 10, 11, and 12 actually kind of go together. So if you're doing study on your own, you want to read it in the context of all three chapters. Um, real quickly, last week the angel Gabriel gave Daniel, now remember, these aren't Daniel. This isn't Daniel coming up with this information. This is the angel Gabriel. This is a message from heaven. And he gave Daniel a detailed vision on the future of two of the four kingdoms who broke away after, who formed after Alexander the Great, and they, they came out of the Greek Empire. And we're going to see, you know, has a, it was sort of like chapter 8 being further unpacked, if you will, because it's been covered a little bit about Alexander the Great in two other areas of the book of Daniel. But what's important about this one is the, the conflict between the king of the north and the king of the south. The king of the north is the uh, Seleucid Empire, Syria. The king of the south is the Ptolemaic Empire, which is Egypt. And why is that important? Why does the messenger from heaven, why does Gabriel have to tell Daniel about this future, these future events? Because right in the middle of those two countries or two regions is the Holy Land, the nation Israel, the beautiful land, the glorious land described by the uh, angel Gabriel. And this is very important, as we know, to the Lord for his plan for the world. So this week we're going to meet two more world leaders one is named Antiochus IV, also known as Antiochus Epiphanes. And he is described by the angel Gabriel as a vile person. The angel Gabriel doesn't name him by his name. He describes his person and his character. And we're going to see a lot of that today. He was a historical figure who ruled over Judea from 175 to 164 B.C. The other world leader has yet to arrive on the scene. The other world leader is a, called the willful king. So you had the vile person in Antiochus. Now you have in the future, the willful king. And who do you think that is? Some would uh, describe him as the end times Antiochus Epiphanes because there's a lot of parallels in, in what he does. But he's going to be known as the final world dictator the man of sin, if you will, the son of perdition, the final Antichrist who will lead the world into rebellion and direct conflict with God during the tribulation, which is yet to come. So we're going to cover some history and we're going to cover some future events today. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is fruitful, it's beneficial to us, it's profitable to us, Lord. Every aspect of it. Even, even, Lord, when the Bible speaks to us about ancient cultures and, and historical events, 
We know that it's important for our understanding. And so, Lord, we cover all of your word. We believe all of your word is profitable. And we teach all of your word here. May we always be faithful to do that. So, Father, go before us in this interesting uh, message today. Go before our, our hearts and minds. Help us uh, to just to take in the things that are important to you into our hearts so that we can be changed once again. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Amen. All right, uh, it's going to get a little bit more technical today. Last week we kind of did a, a 30,000 foot uh, traveled over uh, several hundred years of ancient history. But we're going to go a little bit more technical. So if you're not a student of history, um, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. But uh, uh, I'm, I've got my timer set. So I promise that we will not go ad nauseum with this. Uh, I'm going to try to respect your time as well. We left off last week in verse 20, after highlighting and summarizing 130 plus years of conflict between these Seleucid kings and the Ptolemaic kings, the north and south. The north were the Seleucids. The northern kings are recorded in history, and you can find all of this in history, as Seleucius the first, the second, and the third. That's who we, we covered last week. The southern kings come under, oh, also Seleucius also had sons he named Antiochus, the first, the second, and the third. And we're going to talk about Antiochus the fourth as well. They would control the areas, the northern kings would control the areas of modern-day Syria, Iraq, and Iran. This is the area that they primarily covered. The southern kings had names, or the names, of the Ptolemaic reign, the first through the fifth, if you will, or the fourth. They would control the areas of Egypt. For decades, they would war against one another, and the dominant one, whoever was dominant over the other, would also control the Holy Land, which again is why it's so important for God to take notice, to take a page out of history and present it to us. And the tiny nation Israel would repeatedly be caught up in between the conflicts of these historic Grecian kingdoms, okay? So here we are. Let's look at verses 20 through 24. We start off with Antiochus, a vile person. There shall rise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom, but within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty. But he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood they shall be swept away before him and be broken, also the prince of the covenant. Verse 23, after, uh, And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall dis uh, disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time, only for a short time. So verse 20 is a little bit of a review from last week. There shall arise in his place the glorious kingdom. This refers to the northern king Seleucus IV, who ruled Syria, from 187 to 175 BC. He was forced to raise taxes to pay the Romans for the damage done by his father, Antiochus the Great. You see, during this time of history, 
the Roman Empire is starting to get stronger and stronger. And this guy thought he was going to start dominating those northern areas which were encroaching on what would be the Roman Empire. And they defeated, they beat him back down and they sent him back to his area. And they said, and by the way, you're going to pay taxes to us. You're going to pay tribute to Rome. So from this point in history, these Seleucid kings are going to be, uh, be held into the, the eventual empire of Rome. But then in verse 21, here we have the vile person. It says, in his place shall arise a vile person. Now, his name was Antiochus IV, as we said, but he would self-designate himself with the subtitle Epiphanes, which means illustrious or glorious. So he thought quite a bit of himself. Gabriel refers to him as a vile person because the historical record shows that he tried to exterminate the Jews during his reign of tyranny. So now you see why God you know, pays such close attention. You could say, well, there's been many tyrants in the history of, of the world. Why is this in the Bible? Well, because he tried to wipe out God's kingdom, God's people. And remember, God's plan was to bring Messiah through his nation, through his people. And the devil always tries to thwart the work of God, even to this very day. But he shall come in peaceably. Now, he's, look, he's starting to be he's sort of a politician, which is why people would call him like the, kind of like the end times antichrist, because of his guile, his intrigue. And he, so he would come in with the intrigue, which literally means fine promises or flattery. And, you know, he, he snuck in there. He really wasn't supposed to be on the throne. There was another person who should have been on the throne. But he laid out a scheme to secure the throne for himself. So he snuck in there, took over. And look at verse 22. With a force of a flood that they, may, they shall be swept away from before him. Now, he's seizing political and military power. And so he sweeps away, and what he does is he seizes the kingdom of Palestine. Um, he regains control over Palestine. He becomes now a dominant king. Remember, the north and south kings, whoever controlled the uh, Palestine was the dominant one at that time in history. And he defeated the Egyptians. But also it says, and also, look at verse 22, the prince of the covenant. Who is that? Who is he referring to? History tells us that the Jewish high priest, Onias III, was executed by Antiochus. So the prince of the covenant, he represents the high priest. Because when you talk about the covenant, you're talking about God's people and God's nation. Now in verse 23, again, after the league is made with him, he'll act deceitfully. Look, he's not a nice guy. He's a, very, he's a vile person, okay? Remember, that's how he was described. So don't expect him to be a nice guy. And so you might make a treaty with him, uh, make, come in league, but then he's going to come back with treachery. And that's what he does in verse 22. He'll, he'll act deceitfully. He'll come up and become strong with a small number of people. Despite his small number of followers, he's tricky enough, he's mean enough, he's political enough to have sway. And so in verse 24, it says he'll enter peaceably, into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done. So he comes in, and now, instead of just like total control, you know, war and battle, he starts to accumulate money and wealth, and he uses that to pay for political favors. You know, that's, we see in our modern day how politics works, how sponsors and people, you know, there's a lot of money in elections. There are millions and billions of dollars spent for power and control, in our modern day. And it wasn't much different back then. 
but he kind of started to become more of the politician. You see, he had a desire to establish, not only was he wanting to be dominant over the region, but he wanted to establish a power base down in Egypt. So he started paying off his supporters. But only for a time. You see, man's plans sometimes, you know, when they're bent on evil, even his great ambition and his deal-making are doomed to fail. And we see that in our world. Now we see, moving, moving ahead here, verses 25 through 27. We're going to see that God has an appointed judgment. He's only going to be on a short leash if, leash, if you will, because God's got a plan. It says, He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Verse 27, it says, Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil. They're both coming to the table with their own agenda, and they really have no intention of keeping any of their promises. Does that sound familiar? So he, sure, he stirs up, and now this is his, even though he's taken control and power over Egypt, now it, it, this really spells out the fact that he's, it's talking about his first invasion of Egypt. He had two invasions, his first invasion of Egypt, talking about his power and his courage. And then the king of the south, he's not going to lay down, he fights back. And there's a lot of political intrigue going on. Now he's going to win the battle but he's going to ultimately lose the war, if you will. In verse 26, it says, Yes, those who eat the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. There was deception on both sides. You know, whatever power play they had, whatever cabinet they had assigned to their, you know, controlling interest in their highest levels of control and command, they were turning on one another. They were stabbing one another in the back. And they would even sit at the table. Now, to sit at a person's table in deceit was considered to be a very, what would be considered a very uh, a grievous thing to do even in this day. If somebody invites you into their home and you have a meal with them, yet you, you despise them and you sit at their table and you're plotting against them, that's, that's evil. That's wrong. And they would do that, you know, this was part of their, their, uh, their, their regular practices. And the, the, the heaven, the, the angel, Gabriel, explains these things. He goes into all this great detail. And so we saw in verse 27, both of these kings shall be bent on evil. But notice at the end, it says, for in the end, we'll still be at the appointed time. And this reminds us, it's a sober reminder, reminder that these kingdoms that rise and fall, you know, all throughout history, even in our present day, whoever seems to be in power, they're only in power because God allows it. And yes, they're under Satan's control because he thinks, you know, he's going to keep fighting. He knows he's going down, right? We talked about that. But he's going to continue to try and stop God's plan from taking place, his plan of redemption from moving forward. And we sensed a little bit of that on the street yesterday. There's a spiritual battle going on out there. Some people, you know, they see that you're a church. They see that you're giving out Bible tracts. And some people are like, you know, they're, they're very offended, actually. You know, it, it bothers them that you would think that you could reach out and try to speak truth into their life. And so we're called to be gracious, right? And to be friendly and not to take offense and not to engage in arguments. But, you know, when, when we get out of our, 
our comfort zone, our family, our church, and we get out into the streets and we get out into our community, you, you guys know what it's like. You know what it's like in your workplaces. You know what it's like to be surrounded by a bunch of grumbling and crying and moaning people who, have, who are lost. And sometimes you can become like them, right? You know, we want to be humble. Nobody's perfect. You can get in on that. But we need to remember, we have this big, huge picture. We, we have that 30,000-foot view that all things happen according to God's plan. And there's an appointed time. So as we look into these slices of history, we're reminded of the frustration that comes with the endless appetite. The endless appetite for power and control between the political parties, between the ideological parties, the opponents. And it should be sobering for us to realize that everything will end. Nations, dynasties, individual lives. Scripture acknowledges this and declares what? Hebrews 9.27. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. You see, I don't think Antiochus and Seleucids and these kings, they weren't thinking about the judgment that would come from God. They weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about their next power move, their next play. So God set a time limit on your life, and if you're listening to this online, I have a question for you. I have two questions for you. Are you prepared to stand before the judge? Are you prepared to stand before the judge? Because judgment comes. The Bible declares, but after this, the judgment. You'll die once. And then the next question, very important as well, what will be God's verdict? Will he find you guilty of you know, breaking his commandments? Or will have somebody come and paid your fine, if you will, if you're covered with the blood of Jesus? You know, we sang about his arms of love and my Jesus. It was personal in that song. And so we are covered by his blood if we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior and if we repent of our sins. And so there's a question everybody's got to answer. Are you prepared to stand before the judge and what will be his verdict? And in light of that fact, how will you and I spend our days? Will we be scheming or will we as Christians be interceding? When you see the self-destructive behavior of power-hungry leaders, we need to see as a reminder to pray. You know, we, we are very concerned. I am greatly concerned, as all of you are, of the state and the condition of our country. You know, I'm concerned about my grandkids and my kids and the future of our nation. And so the Lord has called us to pray, because when we see the stuff that goes on, he's called us to pray. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4. I don't know if we have a slide for that. But 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4, 1 through 4, I'll read it to you. It says, Therefore, I exhort first that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all, he says, for kings. For kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. That's why we pray for our leaders in this country. So that we can live in peace. That we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That's what he's called us for. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a powerful passage. So 
You know, oftentimes, and we have lots of discussions, and I'm a part of many of them, we talk about the terrible situation in our country. We talk about the political and the cultural. It's all over the media. But remember, don't forget, we're called to pray. And we're called to pray for those leaders who we, a lot of times, don't care much for. And we do it for the good of our nation that we would pray for them. So as we look at these crazy leaders and all their history and all the stuff that goes on, uh, as we continue, remember we have a call to pray. If you're a Christian, you have a call to pray. If you're not saved, remember you are going to stand before the judge. And what's going to be his verdict? Because there's, there's a time limit for everybody. Verses 28 through 35, he says, Antiochus, now, now he's going to start his persecution of the Jews. This vile man, it says, while returning to his land with great riches, I'm not going to read the passage, I'm just going to go through it line by line. Verse 28, while re returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant so that he shall do damage and return to his own land. This power-hungry king, even though he won the battle down in Egypt, he wasn't happy. And we're going to start to understand why. But he's, he comes back. He's had some military shortcomings. He did secure a great amount of money, apparently. But he will come back and he says, so he will do damage and return to his own land. Why, why would he do that? Why would he come back to his, his kingdom, if you will, uh, and, and do damage? Because one, some of the Jews... In the, great, in the Holy Land, would not submit to his power. This is called the Maccabean Revolt. It's an apocryphal book, the, the Maccabees. It was written, it's an apocryphal book. It took place during the intertestamental time, the 400 years of silence, took place during this time around 174 B.C. or 169 B.C. He wanted to, to put away their religion and he wanted them to submit to him. He wanted them to drop all the covenant with God, all their sacrifices, all the things they did in the temple, all their high priests. He wanted them to submit to him instead. And that's why the angel called him a vile person. But we're going to see even more why. One writer put it this way, the angel prophesied that Antiochus would return to Syria with great plunder after his first campaign against Egypt that took place in 169 B.C. As a matter of fact, as he passed through Israel in his return home, he found an uprising taking place in Palestine. He put down the revolt and he massacred, oh, 80,000 people. He's a vile person. He massacred 80,000 citizens, including women and children, and he plundered the temple of its treasures. This guy who you know, came in through intrigue. Now, verse 29, it says, But at the appointed time he shall return and go towards the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. So now, he's not satisfied with his military success in Egypt because he didn't have complete control over Egypt. And so he decides that he would invade Egypt again in 168 B.C. You can read all this in the history. It's all in the history. But it shall not be like the former or, la or the latter. Why? Look at verse 30. For ships from Cyprus shall come up against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the Holy Covenant. And the last time he returned from Egypt, he came back to come against the Holy Covenant. This time he's pretty angry. Who are these ships from Cyprus? These are the Royal Navy 
of the Roman government, the Roman Empire. And, you know, behind the scenes, they're siding with the Egyptians. They don't want this guy to have power because they have power in their minds. And so we see the power struggle continue. So the Romans assisted the Egyptians and they pushed him back. And he comes back to the Holy Land and he's really upset. <clears throat> Not only that is he upset and he kills a lot of people, but he also comes back and there are traitors among the Jewish people who try to side with him and he, he takes them onto their side. You know, people choose sides in conflicts. When you're caught in the middle of a conflict, you've got to choose sides. You've got to choose where you're at. And, you know, we see this now in our cultural battles. The church has to decide what it is all about. Is it upstream or downstream of culture? Right now in our culture, the church is way downstream, unfortunately, aside from maybe a small group of believers who want to stand for truth, who will go before abortion clinics, who will get out in the streets and speak and bring the gospel. And so when he comes back in verse 31, it says, Forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. So now he's going to really vent his anger on the Jews by attacking their religious practices. Now keep that in mind, folks. <laughs> keep that in mind. Because when the state comes in and control comes in, and they don't, you know, the state wants you to worship the state, okay? And this man represented the imperial state. And he didn't want them practicing their religion. And so it says here, then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. You've heard this many times. This word, the abomination of desolation. Speaking of the Antichrist in the end times, but also speaking of what Antiochus did historically. What was the abomination of desolation? Or in the King James Version it says, abomination that maketh desolate. What's he, what's he making desolate? He sets up a pagan altar to worship the Greek god Zeus. Okay, right there in their temple. Now you guys have been going through Exodus with us. You understand that God gave them the tabernacle and the temple so that he could dwell with them. And the Lord set out, the Lord God set out, you know, very detailed examples of how things should go. And uh, you, you guys, it's obvious it doesn't, there should be no foreign gods. And what does he do? He worships the Greek god Zeus by offering a pig as a sacrifice right there and defiles the temple. That, that would be worthy of, you know, the ripping of clothing, the screaming, the covering with sackcloth and ashes. That would have gotten them very, very upset, and God is to, as well. He would cause the temple to be unclean and defiled. And, and all, look, it says, and they, it says, they will take away the daily sacrifices. It, history records that the high priest, Menelaus, the high priest at the time, was actually working with Antiochus to take away the daily sacrifices. Verse 32, Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God. Psalm 37, 39 says, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. If you know your God, you know where you stand. You know what to do because He is your strength. 
In verse 33, and those of the people who understood shall instruct many. Okay, if you have understanding and wisdom, why it's so important to disciple, to be in your Bibles, to be studying your word is because you can instruct others. Those family members, that, that wayward child, that prodigal son or daughter, you're in a position to speak into their lives, that grandchild or that daughter or son. It's a great responsibility and we need to be ready. The people who understand refers, this was called the Maccabean Revolt. Okay, there was a revolt that took place. It was led by Jewish patriots at the time, namely by the Jewish priest Mattathias and his five sons. His most famous son was named Judah, and his nickname was Maccabeus, which means hammerer. So these were warriors. These were, these were patriots who were willing to take up arms against this man, this vile person. And it says in 33, Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. It was a very costly revolt. But now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join them by intrigue. You know, you see people choosing sides again in verse 34. Some are going to go with the winning side and end up on the losing side. And the losing side end up on the winning side. Not all patriots were sincere. Not all patriots were sincere. Not all people who name the name of Jesus Christ are sincere. Verse 35 and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them and to purify them and look at that, make them white until the time of the end. What does that mean? They would be rewarded, they would be martyred, but yet they would be rewarded by God to be made white, rewarded by God in heaven. Those of understanding, those are ones who are prudent and circumspect, circumspect of the things of God. You know, we need to live in these these. Evil days, we need to be circumspect of the world around us, but we also need to be circumspect of the things of God found in his word. And they would be made white, they'd be purified until the time of the end. When is that? The time of judgment. You know, remember, there's going to be an end and there's going to be a time of judgment someday. But he says, but it is still for the appointed time. God has set that time in place. Individually, and the world as a whole has been set in place by God. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, this was a time of testing and refining for the Jewish people. When they had to do, uh, decide to obey the God of their fathers and possibly be slain or submit to the pagan Syrian leaders and live as traitors to their faith. Now, we've, we've just witnessed the heavenly blessing to be purified, of those of understanding that were willing to stand up for God and stand against tyranny. We see it you know, all through and we see it here in this passage. The Bible declares that when a person truly stands for Christ, that they will be persecuted. You've heard the scriptures. Here's one, Luke 21, 12, and 13. Luke 21, 12, and 13. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Not only for the apostles, who every single one of them died a violent death, 
but also the Apostle John who died in isolation on the island of Patmos. But it also applies to you and I today. You will be, uh, it will be an occasion for your testimony when you're persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 13, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, he writes to young Timothy, the manner of life, the purpose, the faith, the long-suffering, the love, the perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. You know what persecutions I endured, Paul is saying. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. And as we move forward in history, we start to see that more and more. So in summary for that section, one writer put it this way. Many Jews laid their lives down for their city, for their temple and their faith, and they finally won. It's a historical fact. On December 14th, 165 BC, the temple was purified and the altar was dedicated. The Jews celebrate this occasion annually as the Feast of Lights, also known to you and I as Hanukkah. So next Christmas, you know, when you're, when you're celebrating Christmas and you're reminded of the Jewish festival of Hanukkah, that was brought forth by the Maccabean Revolt and their victory over the enemy who was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes died in Persia in 163 BC. He was judged insane, and no wonder people called him Antiochus. They, they gave him another nickname, okay, since he was judged crazy and insane. They called him Antiochus Epimenes, or Antiochus the Madman. That's how history remembered him during that time. Now we're getting ready to talk about the future of the self-willed king. This is not Antiochus Epiphanes. In verse 36, we start to see a whole new picture being painted. And we're going to continue next week to finish the story of the Antichrist. We're going to get started on that today. So we're looking at verses 11, 36 through 45 in chapter 11. It says, Then the king, verse 36, shall do according to his own will, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. The nation Israel would ultimately reject their Messiah. We know that to be true. We know that even today. It's, it's basically a secular nation. Uh, they've been regathered. The, the Lord in his providence has allowed them to become a nation and they've been regathered and they're continuing to gather and grow in population, but they still have not come alive spiritually. In John 5, 30, 43, Jesus said this. He says, I've come to you, the nation of Israel, in my Father's name and you did not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And Jesus is talking about this future Antichrist. This self-willed king, I'm, I'm of the camp. I believe, you know, not everybody agrees with this, but I believe that this self-willed king is the future Antichrist. 
He will emerge out of a confederation of ten nations after the church has been raptured. And he will come as a false messiah who will deceive the Jewish nation. He will organize the final world kingdom and actively oppose God and his people. We've talked about this a lot. It says, then the king will do according to his own will. He will exalt and magnify himself above every other god. Or he'll do as he pleases. In other words, he will puff himself up. And look, he will also say, it says here, he will speak blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. That refers to the great tribulation, the wrath of God being poured out on the nations. And these are presumptuous words, what he would say. These blasphemies are are called presumptuous words when he speaks against God. Real quickly, we read about it in Revelation 13, verse 1. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. You remember back in Daniel chapter 7, we talked about the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, 25. Again, speaking of the future Antichrist, it says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He shall intend to change times and law. And then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years. Three and a half, 360 day years. Till the wrath has been accomplished. Till God's anger and indignation and his judgment and punishment on the world that has sinned against him because they've rejected his offer of salvation. Paul wrote in Romans, Romans 1.18, speaking of God's wrath against the world, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know, they, you see it all the time when somebody will say things like, can a man have a baby? Yes, he can. Now, come on, that is, you know, you think, well, why would they say that? Because they want to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And they're not stopping. They're not stopping this nonsense, if you will. And they're trying to, you know, take their ideology and push it to the limits. So that continues. And that angers God, and that angers us, right? It angers a lot of people. Because of all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That is why he will punish the world when things like that start to manifest themselves more and more. And when his wrath is finally poured out. And then he says, for what has been determined shall be done. Don't forget that this is an angel from heaven giving a message to a man. Written down in the scriptures for us. We always have to remind ourselves this is not Daniel's fanciful dream or vision. This is Gabriel, the messenger of God, giving God's message to, to Daniel and to us because it's been determined. Something strictly determined by God. Also know this. God also uses this Antichrist as an instrument of his wrath. How do we know that? 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan 
with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. The instrument is being used by God in judgment. That they may that they all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's why our message is so important to a world that doesn't know that. That I didn't know that. I didn't know about that. I was dead in my sin. And any of you who came to know the Lord, especially as an adult, you know the difference of your worldview and how it can change radically when you've received the truth. Verse 37, he shall regard neither of God, of his fathers, nor the desire of the women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. <clears throat> this is an interesting passage. Some would say, some would try to argue that he will be a Jew of Jewish descent, this Antichrist. Uh, some would say, no desire, nor desire of women, that perhaps he would be even a uh, homosexual. But you know, a lot of people would, I agree with, it's kind of, that's not likely. Um, it's likely tied to the scriptures in Haggai 2.7. The desire of women in those days was to bring forth the Messiah among the Jewish people. That would have been a high honor, you know, because, you know, think about Mother Mary and how honored she was, the mother of Jesus. And so during that time, for a devout Jewish woman, that would be a high honor to give birth to the Messiah. But remember, they rejected Jesus, so they're still going to have, they're going to be waiting. So in these last days, you know, we're dealing with the, the Jewish people. It says he has no regard for the God of his fathers or the desire of women, speaking of their faith and their belief in the Messiah. That's what it refers to. He has no desire for that. Because he rejects the Messiah. He rejects the coming Messiah, this Antichrist, totally disrespecting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he says he'll not have no regard to any God. Either way, however you want to interpret that, he will only want to worship himself. And then he will demand that the world worship him as well. For he shall exalt them above them all. Second Thessalonians 2.4, a very important passage. He says... Uh, uh, who opposes and exalts himself among all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. During the tribulation, he will ruthlessly attack the Jews and those who follow Christ. And he will set himself up as a God in the temple that had been, would have been rebuilt. Verse 38, it says uh, he will... Uh, it says, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. This is where we talk about the, wor the world where the imperial state takes over. This is, this is uh, seen in our, uh, what you see in communist governments today. Godless communist governments who have no belief in the afterlife, no, no belief in uh, anything but science and politics and the power of man. Natural. And so... Here you see this, this guy wants to set up an imperial state that it might be worshipped. And of course, he shall honor the, uh, with gold and silver and precious stones. 
You know, he will, he will be a government. His goal will try to bring economic prosperity. And look, we see that being used. That's, a, that's, a, that's always the temptation for our modern-day politicians is to bring down the price of gas. We all want that. To bring economic prosperity, we all, we all want that. But what's the cost? What's it going to cost us to do that? What's it going to cost us when the, the state becomes the imperial power? Because, you know, from a lot of indications, we, the church, are getting in the way of that plan. We stand in the way of that. And so what's it going to cost for us? It's a crazy time we live in, folks. You guys know that. Continuing on, again, we're going to pick this up next week. I don't, I don't want to, I'm going to have to kind of cut the message short, but we'll pick it up next week, probably right from verse 39 or 40. But I'd like to just say, um, in, a, in a final thought as we wrap up today, there are antichrists in every generation, 1 John 2.18. An antichrist is any person who opposes Christ. Therefore, God's people you and I, we must be prepared to stand against them. We must be prepared to do that. And so what's our duty as followers of Jesus? That's to stand fast and to cling to his holy word. We, you and I, are not to buckle under temptation. And the ladies just went through the Armor of God series. We need to put on our spiritual armor. We need to be strong in, in his might. We, we see that every time we gather and we truly become engaged with what he wants to do in our lives. When we're engaged in serving one another, when we're engaged in serving others, when we're here to pray, we are to endure temptation, no matter what the opposition is against us. Because our duty is to remain faithful to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together today, Lord. I pray that you know, this history lesson will not go to waste. It came from heaven. All the facts were verified by man's history, but all the details were given by you. And all the things have come true and all the things that you have prophesied that shall come true in the future are all from you. And it's all according to your plan, Father. And we acknowledge that from you today. And Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us. We can encourage one another because of the vision that you give us. We're not buried by the problems of this world and overcome by them, Lord. And it's because you've set us free. You've given us the freedom to have understanding. And so, Lord, soften our hearts for those who don't have understanding, for those who lack understanding. Soften our hearts and, and put it on our hearts to pray for our leaders. Pray for this country. Pray for this nation. Pray for our community here and our church family and our, uh, the folks that you've drawn together here at this church. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the honor it is to stand in your presence and to come before you and to boldly come to your throne in grace and to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, we ask that you would simply go before us now. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and recite our final prayer. <clears throat> Numbers 6, 24 and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make face to shine and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. All right. 
Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.